Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me while I chat with Michelle Blitzhoffs, CEO of Association of Consulting Surveyors. So grab your drink, sit back and relax while we chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest is Michelle Blissefs. Michelle is not a surveyor, but she does work within the surveying industry. Michelle's role is Chief Executive Officer or CEO at the Association of Consulting Surveyors. Michelle was born in Penrith, New South Wales. Growing up, Michelle wanted to be a nurse while her first job was selling diamonds in a jewelry store. Michelle has had a few previous careers before moving into her role as a CEO. And she tells me that she has no hobbies, but I know that she enjoys spending time with her family when she isn't working and she does work. So maybe she doesn't have any hobbies. <laughs> her claim to fame or award was being elected as a counselor in the at the city of Wollongong. So Michelle, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Peter. Now, Tell me, did I say your last name correctly? Because I know so many people get it wrong and I always get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. They always get it right in Victoria because my cousin plays uh, for Geelong. And so the Victorians know how to pronounce it. But Blitzovs is correct. And uh, you were pretty close there. So when I was on council, the mayor never got it right. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I always just go by Michelle. Michelle. Okay, so Michelle, um, just to get to little know you a little bit more. So you were born in Penrith. Where did you grow up? So we grew up mostly in the Blue Mountains. Um, so, you know, born in a Pan hospital. Um, we lived in Blackstone at the time. I've lived sort of all through the mountains. Uh, my mum has a property at Hartley, which is just on the other side of the mountains. So we spent a lot of time there Beautiful. as a kid. And uh, so, yeah, pretty much sort of at the lower end of the mountains is where I spent most of my time. School at Blacksland High um, before going to St Paul's Grammar at Cranebrook. So, yeah, Penrith girl through and through, really. So what year did you leave school? Uh, I finished in year 12. My whole schooling's quite a story. We spent a couple of years in Western Australia. And so I was a bit advanced. So uh, is that because Western Australians teach you better? I don't know. But there was a whole ageing difference thing between WA and New South Wales. Anyway, I finished my HSC at the age of 16. Wow. So clearly I'm very smart or there was an age issue. But anyway, somehow I managed to get through quite young. Um, so I did that. And yeah, had planned to go on and be a nurse. I did my work experience as a nurse and I remember seeing a live appendectomy and thought it was hilarious what they did with your intestines. Um, and, uh, but of course, now I look back and think, oh my goodness, I am just not empathetic enough to be a nurse. I don't think I would have been a very good nurse at all. Uh, so didn't do that and went to Bible college. Wow. Uh, I have a, my undergraduate degree is a diploma of theology. Wow. So how about that, hey? Uh, much to my, I'm not sure my mother thought I could make any money out of that. And of course, you can't really make any money out of a diploma of theology. Hence the reason I worked in a jewellery shop, which was awesome, by the way. Let me tell you, all girls want to work with gold and diamonds. Come on. Best first job ever. I would have been pretty happy with that. And, and funnily enough, I uh, started my career as a nurse as well. Yeah, well, I can see that about you, you see. You're very empathetic and you're good with people and that's what made you such a great TAFE teacher. Oh, thank Whereas, you. you know, I just tell people to, come on, get out of bed, what's wrong with you? So, Well, sometimes anyway. they need that. Sometimes they need that. <laughs> um, okay, so you're not a surveyor, 
but everyone in the surveying and spatial industry knows you quite well. Thanks. So how explain your current role and how you ended up in this position. Well, my current role um, is an association executive. That's actually what I am. So I run associations. That's what I do. And the Association of Consulting Surveyors in New South Wales and the National Body are the two associations that I run. And that is my expertise. Um, you know, I don't know how to run a surveying firm, but I understand the keys to running a business. And so we look after the business. We are the industry association. And so we look after the businesses in surveying and we seek to provide support to those businesses. So I don't really need to know about surveying because the role of my associations is not to teach them to be better surveyors. That's what they spent nearly, you know, 10 years studying um, <laughs> to become registered surveyors yeah. uh, or licensed surveyors. And so uh, what they didn't so much learn at survey school is how to run a business. And that's mm -hmm. the problem with most professions. And a lot of industries are the same. They don't actually teach you how to run the business, how to go out and get business, how to look after clients, how to look after staff, what the risks that you need to think about, strategy, financials, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So I spend most of my time providing coaching support to our members in those areas, um, as well as we teach the emerging firms, the emerging guys that are coming through and starting businesses, the skills that they need in order to run a surveying business. Yeah. And part of the reason I can do that is because of my background. So after I finished in the jewellery shop, which I was very sad to leave, of course, don't worry, I bought up big before I finished up. <laughs> uh, I went to work for a bus company. And um, the only difference between a bus company and a surveying firm is that it was a small family business. And whilst we had 100 staff and a, a fleet of vehicles and we ran buses all over Sydney, again, the main job there was to look after customers. It was to look after the people that travelled on our bus. Mm -hmm. And I had to look after the finances, the operations, the staff, the risks, and come up with a strategy for how we were going to handle the government um, in the day because that, that's sort of where the big changes were happening. And I had to deal with the government on various levels. And so that role taught me a great number of skills and I went on to do my master's um, degree in management <clears throat> um, so rather that. than going to yeah rather than going to university I actually did it through a consortium program with a TAFE and a university okay and it was a fabulous program because it was really hands-on I did it with a core group of between 10 and 15 other managers who were like me who had an undergraduate degree in something probably non-related um, and it took us on to go through what you do in a master's and the actual work project helped me and my company at the time be able to expand some of the services that we operated. And so it was really quite useful um, and a project that I've happily seen other bus companies take on and, and go oh, into that field of fantastic. work. So. Yeah, that was really good. But, you know, the government made some changes in buses. And so we ended up selling um, the bus company. And uh, uh, I, by this time, had become the general manager of the bus company. Mm -hmm. um, and so from there, I decided I really wanted to work in the not-for-profit sector. And I moved to Wollongong and worked in the homeless sector for a long time. And that was kind of where I sort of started to interact a little bit more with associations um, and then I got elected to local government, which, you know, that could be like a whole other podcast. We could it talk could about be a whole other podcast, that one, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Wollongong County. That's right. But um, I, I was after all the mess for those who remember their history. We were the, you know, the newcomers, the fix it up comers. Yeah. Um, but whilst I had that role, I also became the CEO of an association down there. So um, that association was worked across Australia and New Zealand. And so I ended up traveling three days a week, visiting all of my members, as well as being a local counselor in Wollongong. So it was quite an interesting path, but that's where I really learned all about associations. And, um, and then at the end of last year, I became a certified association executive, one of two in Australia that has that qualification. And we're hoping to bring more in through our industry. I'm actually on the board of the Australasian Society oh. of Association Executives, because yes, there is a board for everything. And even associations <laughs> have an association. And so, uh, you know, every, every group has an industry body, every group has a professional association. And we have two in the association sector, just like surveyors, yeah, not any wow. different. So you've so, got, uh, you've got so, your uh, hands in many pies. 
Oh, yes. Well, I've never been very good at just doing one thing. And I think I got that from buses. You know, you always had to manage school buses, route buses, what was happening with trains, what was happening with roadworks, drivers, you know, fleet buses breaking down, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I learned very early to do that. And then when I was actually a counsellor, I had three jobs. So I was a counsellor, which was really only part time. Uh, I was a CEO for a major association and I was a director on a superannuation fund and chairman of a not-for-profit board. So, and my kids were about eight and nine at the time. Yeah. So uh, it was quite a, a learning thing. Uh, hence the reason I have no problem looking after the New South Wales body and the national body and launching into Queensland as well <laughs> for consulting surveyors. So you're doing a know. great job of, I must say. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So starting, starting your role, um, what what do you think was the biggest challenge that you had joining consulting surveys? Look, I think one of the challenges, and this is across the association sector, I don't think surveying was any different, but um, associations have to kind of prove their worth and prove their value. So if you're asking people to pay a membership fee and to hand over hard-earned dollars every year, you want to make sure that they're getting value for that dollar and you need to prove the benefit that your association brings. And ACS, as we're sort of colloquial, colloquially known, um, uh, you know, had been proving its worth to its members for many years, particularly in the advocacy space. So we worked with um, government and we were particularly good uh, during the land titles office long-term lease. I'm not allowed to say it was a sale, are you? Uh, so during that process, you know, ACS had proved itself quite capable. And actually at our 50th anniversary last year, we heard that actually ACS has been advocating on behalf of the industry for many, many years in many areas. Mm. Right now, what is um, common news, I don't know when people will be listening to this, but, but they might recall the koala management issue, which has been big news in planning in New South Wales, which nearly split the government. Yeah. So you know, we've been advocating on that front. And so I think one of the things that uh, I learned early when I got to ACS was how important it is to listen to our members and to listen to the firms and to find out what the issues are and to make sure that we address those. So our role as the industry body is to provide that support and that advocacy, however it is that we need to. Um, there's a significant skill shortage. Uh, even now, I mean, I've had three or four calls in the last two weeks of people who are looking for registered surveyors. We just don't have enough in the country. Actually, it's a global problem. We don't have enough anywhere in the world. Um, and so, you know, getting involved in the New South Wales Surveying Task Force has been fabulous to really try to, um, you know, encourage students and other career changes to think about a career in surveying because really it's a fabulous pathway and, you know, surveyors, one of the things I love about it is the history that's yeah. involved in surveying, you know, the roads that we drive on, the Oxley Highway and the, you know, all those sorts of things. We don't even think about where they got their names, but they got their names from the surveyors yeah. that were here originally. Captain yeah. Cook was a surveyor. Who knew? <laughs> all the, the, the wonderful history. I think I find that with most of the surveyors I talk to is that that's one of the things that, that draws them to to the job, to the profession is, is the the history behind the actual profession um, and how old it is and how, how far back it dates and things like that. And well, wear... if you think about the fact that in the day, you know, um, they use chains to yeah. measure things, chain links, and hence the term chainman. You know, yeah. I, I'm like, really? Chains? Yeah. I mean, now we have these fabulous GPS devices and we use drones and the technology we have, laser scanners, you know, all of these fabulous uh, new equipment uh, makes their job easier, but it helps them, you know, actually use their skill and their expertise much more accurately. And so, you know, you can pick up your Apple phone and try and measure something, but you just cannot get to the accuracy of what a surveyor can. And they'll argue about three millimetres. It's amazing. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so talking about um, your task force, um, you have made a big impact in our industry, um, getting kids into survey, promoting the industry to the educational sector. That's where I've worked with you. Um, women in industry, what drives you to promote these areas in the industry? 
Oh, well, look, I mean, the first thing I would say is it's not just me. I'm just very good at talking. Uh, and so I seem to get that role. But, you know, certainly the task force is a group of industry bodies. You know, the institution of surveyors in New South Wales, you know, has had just as large an impact, if not more, because of their role in the support of maths in surveying uh, as we have at ACS. Um, we just get the privilege of administering it. So hence we seem to be the ones known for it. But really the institution have added considerable value to that over many, many years. Um, and, uh, you know, as have others, uh, you know, uh, land registry services, um, the surveying and mapping industry council, country surveyors, um, there are so many people, you know, the public surveyors are involved as well. Um, and the roads, well, Transport for New South Wales have also recently gotten involved. So uh, it's been fabulous to see so many people come together from across the private and the public sector because our industry is in great need. And one of the things that's really interesting is we'll go to careers expos or we go into schools and we talk and we're one of the few industry groups that actually does that. Um, it's often the universities or the TAFEs that are out there promoting the study pathway, but nobody's actually promoting the career that comes after the study. And there's a lot of study involved in surveying. There's, there, you know, it can take many years to become registered, but the pathway is fabulous because you can work whilst you study. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the great things. And, and for me, you know, again, it almost comes back to that history thing. Uh, you know, surveyors have been around since day dot, measuring land for people to live on you know um you know surveying's talked about in the bible you know the children of israel crossed the jordan river and they had to measure out where each tribe would go and so uh you know surveying is so historical and i think that that's something that we need to talk about there aren't very many careers out there that have been around forever doctors nurses teachers surveyors you know, we've been around longer than architects. We were the original architects. We've been around longer than planners. We were the original planners. All of these professions are fairly new, whereas surveying has been around, as I said, since the day dot. All of our explorers originally were surveyors. And I think that surveying offers kids such a vast array of opportunities. And not just kids, but career changes as well because of the different areas of surveying. I mean, obviously, you know, we promote and I talk mostly about land surveying, but you can go into mine surveying, you can go into water, air. I mean, now we've got a space agency in Australia and some of that, the satellites and all those sorts of things all are connected back to the measuring point of a piece of a positioning somewhere on the earth or somewhere in space. And so, you know, all of that is connected. And, um, you know, the fact is that a lot of the data analysis and all of that that's big news these days all starts at a point that has to do with the land or that we stand on, which comes down to a land surveyor. So I think the variety that we have in the profession makes it really fabulous and exciting for people to be a part of. Um, and the pathway to get there is fairly simple. You know, um, you know, there's a pathway through TAFE, there's a pathway through university. You can work in it for a couple of years before you decide which pathway you want to take. Um, we have 100% employment because there's such a shortage. You know, what, what other professions have guaranteed employment? Not yeah. many. So, so, you know, really- For somebody who's not uh, a surveyor, you're pretty passionate about the industry. Yeah, well, you know, because, well, firstly, it's my job, don't tell anyone, um, but it's my job to be passionate about the industry. Um, not that it says that in my position description, um, but, you know, I quickly learned when I first started uh, about three years ago with the association, um, I spent my first six months traveling around the state, visiting as many surveying firms as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. And you sit down and you listen to these surveyors who I describe as the salt of the earth. They're so humble. Um, you know, they, they are really connected to the earth in a way that nobody else is. Um, and, you know, to hear them talk about what they do and to be passionate about, about it uh, is really amazing. And because they are often quite humble and quiet and don't mm -hmm. promote themselves, they've needed somebody to be passionate about it and to help them promote what they do because it's not their national, not their natural inclination. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that it's my job to promote what we do as surveyors, mm -hmm. what they do 
no, I'm not one. What they do as surveillance, I mean, don't even try and let me look through a total station. I wouldn't even know what I was looking at. Um, I can't, I can't, I have no spatial awareness at all. I couldn't tell you how far, far, like, you know, when they did the social distancing thing recently during the yeah. COVID pandemic, yeah. uh, it was like, you know, four metres, four square metres. What, what's that? I don't know. What's one and a half square metres or two metres different? I can't measure that. But a surveyor could, yeah. you know, they know. My guys know that stuff. And so I think they need an advocate and I'm happy to be that advocate. Yeah, you're doing a fantastic job. So you talked about the education. Do you think it, a degree is necessary to achieve in our industry? Look, I think that there are different pathways and certainly we need more registered surveyors. And in order to become a registered surveyor, you must have a degree in surveying or a dual degree in civil engineering and surveying. And, um, you know, we do need more surveyors. The average age, although in New South Wales has dropped to 52, which is exciting. Generally speaking around the country, the average age is 55. So like most professions, we're aging. Yeah. And so we do need new people to come through, but it takes a long time. I think that there is nothing wrong with doing the university degree and not going on to do your registration, though it feels like a bit of a waste to me. You may as well <laughs> go on and finish it. Um, but similarly, you know, you might do a Cert three in surveying and spatial or a cert four or a diploma in surveying and spatial and that might be enough for you i chatted to a young guy today who's looking at a change of career mm -hmm. um, and he is not thinking anything beyond the diploma at this stage he'd like to do a cert three cert four and diploma and then see where he goes from there and that's one of the great things about surveying you know you can go into mining you can go into hydrography you can go into photogrammetry you know there's so many different you can go into a gis geographical information systems Systems, services, something like that. Um, I don't even know what all the acronyms stand for. Um, but, you know, there's so many opportunities of jobs that you can go into from just a basic Cert 3, mm. which is not a very long course. No. But we've got guys now who have a diploma. So they did two years at TAFE and they're running their own business because the construction industry needs them and that's their chosen field. Great. Mm. Fabulous. We need more of them. Um, you know, I would say that I do feel quite strongly about the need to do the training. Oh, did you see my dog in the background there? Um, <laughs> he jumped through the, he likes to be on every <laughs> webinar I'm in, you know. Um, I think that the, um, uh, you know, the training is important. You know, it's, it's not a requirement. There's no law or legislation that says you must do a TAFE degree or do a TAFE course. Um, to be registered, you must, yeah. but to be an engineering surveyor or a technical surveyor, you don't need to do anything. You can just go and learn under a current surveyor. You can just go and hang up a shingle today, dare I suggest. But if you want to be accurate and you want to deliver a quality service and you want to deliver, um, you know, a reputable service for the community, mm. then we recommend that you go ahead and do some training at least. Yeah, uh, We think that well, qualification for quality is really important and we also recommend that the community only use people that have some sort of training mm. you know check when did that person last go to any training because we have continuing professional development in our industry so when was the last time the person that you've got out doing your survey actually attended any training was it 30 years ago I mean like all of us we all need to be continually learning and our surveyors are very good at that and um you know, I think it's one of the great things about our industry. And where do you see our profession changing over the next 10 years? Look, I think that uh, what is really interesting is what's happening in the building information side mm -hmm. of things. I think that's fascinating. I think laser scanning of buildings. You know, I've seen a laser scan of the dome at Homebush Bay. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, the government have recently launched Digital Twin. Yeah. So every building that is built now has a digital copy of itself mm -hmm. uh, so that you, you can determine where problems exist. You can determine, you know, where light bulbs need to be changed. It's quite amazing what they can do these days. And the fact is that surveying's at the core of that. And, you know, people want to be sure that when they're putting a balcony onto their house, that that balcony is not overhanging the neighbor's yard. Yeah. When they put a pool in their backyard, they want to be sure that that pool is actually in their yard and not in the neighbour's yard. Mm. When you replace your fence, 
because your fence isn't necessarily a boundary, people. I know that'll be a shock to you. <laughs> I learned that. Uh, but you want to make sure that your fence is actually on your boundary line. And if it's not, you want to kind of look into that with a, with a surveyor. So I think, you know, the future of surveying is very strong. Whilst ever we are buying, building and buying houses and developing land, we will always need surveyors. And it's not just about houses and land. It's about tunnels, bridges, railway lines. No. Uh, the major infrastructure that we have around this country and internationally all have surveyors working on it. We are the first people on a job and the last person to leave it because we measure everything to make sure they've done it right. And, you know, if they don't measure that bridge right, the thing doesn't meet in the middle, people, and you fall into the ocean. <laughs> so surveyors worked on the harbour bridge. They're working on the harbour tunnel. Um, and so I think that the future of our industry and our profession is really strong. I think we will go more digital. Uh, we're in the process right now of developing digital plans that are much more user-friendly for the broader public to use. Um, I think that we will work more integratedly with other industries and other professions. That's something I'd very much like to see happen. Uh, and I think that the services and the, the products that we provide through our laser scanning and our 3D modelling will be widely sought after and will be a valuable resource for the broader construction and property sector. Mm, interesting. So moving on, as part of your position, you have started a book club for surveyors within the association. Right. Why? Well, it kind of goes back to that um, uh, lifelong learning. Yep. So I learned very early in my career that I didn't know a whole lot of stuff, right? Um, you know, when I was working in the jewellery shop, I didn't care about anything except gold and diamonds. But once I got to the bus company and I had to actually manage people mm -hmm. and work with people, well, how do I do that? You know, nobody teaches you. They certainly don't teach you at school. I mean, they don't teach you anything at school in my view. Um, but, uh, you know, except maybe how to get along with people. But then even that, they don't really teach you. You just sort of learn it yourself. Yeah. You have to teach yeah. yourself. Um, so, uh, you know, I had to learn very quickly how to do stuff. Mm. So I found myself picking up all sorts of different books. And uh, so I've been an avid reader for a very long time. So, I mean, really probably my hobby is reading. I'd, I'd read a book a week easily. Mm -hmm. um, not all, not you know, all good research uh, books. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit into the supernatural novels, I have to say. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I like to read. And so I found that I have learned a lot through that. Now, I loved when podcasts came out too, by the way. I listen to podcasts every day on my walk or on my commute. Um, I'm an avid podcast listener as well, because that's how I learn. That's where you get new ideas from. And that's where you get, for me, I get energized mm. through that. And so, um, you know, again, it comes back to my role is to provide uh, business support and help to my members. And I don't know everything. I know you're shocked, don't you? You thought I did. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know everything. Uh, and so I read books to learn about that. And You're always my go-to person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I find the answer in a book. That's where I find the answer. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I'd been talking to some of my board members uh, about the book club idea for quite a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd sort of been waiting, waiting to launch it and then COVID hit and it was like, well, look, I just can't wait anymore. I'm just going to launch the thing. Mm -hmm. And we thought if we get five people interested, that'll be great. But we had over 50. And so I was really, really pleased that um, there were so many people that wanted to pull out a book and read. And some people listen to it on an audio or their Kindle or, you know, the hard paperback. I'm a bit of a hard paperback for those sorts of things because I like to mark it all up and go back to it and twist pages and all those sorts of things. But uh, one of the best things my mother ever did for me actually when I was in year 11 was put me through a speed reading course. So I can, I, I know what in books, I think the people get hung up on books because they think they've got to read it word for word, cover to cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a secret that the authors probably don't want you to know. You don't actually have to do that. You know, you can just read usually most of the good stuff's at the first three chapters. And then the rest of it is case studies to support their hypothesis. <laughs> So you read the first couple of chapters, then you read a couple of the case studies that interest you, and then you get to their conclusion at the end, ta-da, you're done. Yeah. And that's why I could sit down and read one of those books on a Saturday, and I've read the whole book yeah. in one sitting. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, we're going to do books on leadership. We're going to do books on sales. We're going to do books on self-improvement, productivity. Um, we've got a whole raft of books. I would have liked to have done one book a month, but I could only convince them to do one book a quarter. <laughs> I so, you know, I've got to ease them into it. And, and all things to help support them in running their business and learning for them. Yeah, or to stretch their thinking, stretch yeah. their mind, stretch their approach to how they go about things. I mean, you know, we're going to, one of the issues that we have in our industry, again, like many professions, is pricing and this idea of undercutting or discounting or, you know, um, competing on price, which is not yeah. something that we think we should be doing as a profession. It should Love be based it. on service and deliverables. Mm. But, um, but there's a new book that's just hit the market by a great Australian author that I'm looking forward to recommending to the book club um, early next year because, uh, you know, his, his view is, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but his view is, you know, that, that somebody's got to be the most expensive in the market. Why shouldn't it be you? What a great premise. So looking forward to that book. And again, for me, it's about challenging their thinking about how they do their business. Yeah. Okay. So cause you're so into books, what's the most interesting thing that you have read this week? This week? Yep. This week. I finished a book on Saturday. What book was it? Oh dear. See, I read so many. I can't even remember. <laughs> no, I really can't remember what book it was. I have just picked up my new book, which is how to win friends and influence people, which is not a new book, but it's actually an old book um, by Dale Carnegie, which is our next book club book. Um, uh, and I've got the other one, I've got one by Patrick Lencioni called The Advantage, which is all about organisational culture. Ooh. And so, uh, yeah, so they're sort of two books that are on my hit list this mm -hmm. sort of month to have a read of. And um, uh, the thing I like about both of those books, um, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People is actually a book I've read about three times before. It's one of those return to books. I've heard that. Uh, because it is, all about, yeah, it's all about how to get along with people. Um, but there, and there's lots of stories in it, lots of great stories. It's quite an, it's an older book. Mm. Um, and Pat Lencioni has got some great views on uh, culture and building culture. And, uh, and I, I just taught on that at our business academy. So hence that one was on my list. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pick up different books all the time and finish out uh, books. We just finished The Motive which was sort of why do you want to be in leadership in the first place? You know, that's always a good one to think about, isn't Have it? Have you always wanted um, to be a leader? No, I never wanted to be a leader. Didn't think I was a leader. Uh, I'd always been a second, like a 2IC. Mm -hmm. When I was at the bus company, I was general manager to the managing director. So I was always second in charge. I was never in charge. Um, and uh, when I, you know, sort of moved into the not-for-profit sector, again, I was a business manager, so I wasn't the head honcho. I was always the second in charge. Um, and then when I was manager, it was only later I got promoted to be the CEO. And I'm like, oh, I'm the boss. Mm. But I'm not really. Lost you. I got to this one to really accept that that's right you're a leader and there's expectations on you as a leader about the way that you carry yourself the way that you think the way that you approach problems um and I certainly uh do think of myself as a leader now hmm. I don't run a multi-billion dollar organization and I probably never will I've chosen to work with small industry and small business that's my preferred place to be mm -hmm. I don't think I'd survive in companies like Woolworths or David Jones or a bank or you know any of those large places um, but I think the principles are the same in management and certainly in leadership and I think that you lead by example and I think that for me it's all about service and uh, you know mine is anything my members you know I run a member organization so actually it doesn't matter if what my members ask me is too hard I need to find a way to make that thing happen that's what they need I need to make it happen and so for me it's all about service uh, and why I choose to work in the service industry great who's had the biggest impact on your career 
probably my second boss. Um, my first boss at the jewelry shop said to me once, so I was like 17, 18, said to me once that I had real leadership potential and she could see me managing my own store one day. And I remember thinking, she's joking. There's no, no <laughs> way, no way. Uh, and so I kind of didn't think much about that. Uh, my second boss, um, Nadine Thorburn, happy to name her, uh, she um, sort of took a young girl under her wing, hired me originally to babysit her kids on a Saturday mm. when I wasn't working at the shop. Yep. And I started doing that. Then I started in her office, you know, in a desk in front of her desk. Oh, her yeah. office, basic <laughs> admin, remember the days? Yeah, um, doing basic admin stuff. And then she started giving me more and more responsibility, taught me the financials, taught me how to do the financials, you know, um, all of that kind of thing. And so, it, but it was only after I left that role that I really I truly had an appreciation for everything that she had taught me. I didn't realise at the time, and I don't think she realised at the time how much she was mentoring me mm. and teaching me. And now we are still great friends. We still go to each other for wisdom and advice and I love that she comes to me for advice. I'm like, oh my goodness, how the tables have turned. Um, but I still probably go to her for advice more than she comes to me. But still, I love it when she asks me nice for advice. To have someone to be able um, to do that too. Yeah. And I think that uh, probably in the last five years, particularly, I've come to recognize the importance of mentoring um, beyond coaching. You know, I think mentoring is, is a much better word because um, I think uh, coaching is like, yeah, go girl, you can do it. You know, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Whereas I think the mentoring approach um, is really, you know, giving advice and support and helping people through. So now I try to mentor others um, and, uh, you know, ACS are fabulous at letting me do a little bit of that extra yeah. to what I do in the surveying world. But I love to mentor and help the surveyors, but I also help others in small business because, um, not a lot. Obviously, I've got a very busy role, but, you know, I want to help as many businesses as I can, as many business owners as I can to succeed in what they do. And if I can mentor and help them with capacity building and confidence, because I think for me, they're the two big keys, then they'll achieve more and they'll sleep better at night. Very nice. It is good to have someone like you helping out. <laughs> so tell me, what's your guilty pleasure? Well, I used to always answer this question as chocolate because um, uh, I don't drink. And, you know, I have to tell you that when I interviewed for the surveyors and they found out that I didn't drink, they nearly didn't hire me. That's not <laughs> real true. But, but even so, I go to conferences and events now and they're like, what do you mean you don't drink? I'm like, okay, I can be the designated driver. And they're like, okay, bonus. Oh, yes. um, so uh, I don't drink. So I'm not, you know, I can't say it's champagne or wine or anything like that. Used to be chocolate, but one of the books I read this year was called Code Red Revolution. And as a result, I've given up sugar. So I only drink water. I don't eat chocolate anymore. So I don't know that I have a guilty pleasure anymore. Probably my guilty pleasure is lying in bed on a Saturday morning reading a novel. Yeah, I was going to say probably reading a book somewhere on the weekend. <laughs> That's right. My feet up, phone off. That's what I love. Nice. What's the most unusual place you've been? Uh, funnily enough, I haven't actually travelled a lot. So uh, working for a local bus company meant that I worked in a local area and I really rarely went outside of Parramatta. Um, but uh, when I got to work for IAP2, which was Australasian, I got to travel a little bit and I got to go to Utah. I've only been overseas like a handful of times, apart from New Zealand. I've been to New Zealand a lot, but... Um, I've only been to the States once and I've been to the Philippines and that's it. They're the only countries I've been to. Um, but I really loved Salt Lake City, I have to say. It was one of the tidiest cities I'd ever been to. And, of course, you know, my political connections meant that I walked up to Capitol Hill and I walked through there, you know, the, the, where they have parliament or whatever it is they call it. And um, oh, it's fabulous. Absolutely loved it. And now I want to visit them all and go to every capital and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, I have a big desire to travel the world. That's my biggest nice. dream. Nice. Um, okay. So you are married and you have teenage children. Yes. Where did you meet the love of your life? 
So I've been married for 30 years. I know you're saying I don't even look 30. No, you don't. Uh, no, thank you. Um, so uh, I actually met my husband when I was um, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just gotten my license and my mother got me a pink Volkswagen. Well, she didn't get me a, she got me a Volkswagen and she painted it pink because it was my dream to have a pink bug. You know, all girls wanted a pink bug back in the 80s. So I got a pink bug um, for my 16th birthday. And when I got my license on my 17th birthday, I was turning right out into traffic and yes, yes, got hit. And the first person on the scene was my to-be husband. So he was the first person there to help. You can imagine a 17-year-old girl, first accident, bucket of tears, you know, all that kind of stuff. My mum comes because she worked close by. So she comes to the scene to try and help me through. And somebody ran up the back of her at the same time. Oh, no. (laughs) Two cars, two accidents. And my husband first noticed me at this particular thing. So we were actually in Bible college. That's where we met. Mm -hmm. Um, Bible college is often called bridal college for that very reason. Um, And so we met in Bible college. Um, Of course, I was 17. I mentioned that. He was 27. And now as I have a 19-year-old daughter, the idea of her dating a 29-year-old man freaks (laughs) me out. But um, nevertheless... I was married at 18. We got married. Um, so we dated for a couple of years. He proposed uh, when I turned 18 and then we were married nine months later. No, no, I wasn't pregnant. <laughs> Didn't no, have kids. No, no, of course me. not. Because no, no, no. Just in case that's what people were thinking. Um, but no, ten, 10 years, we, we were married before we had kids. Wow. Um, was actually told I couldn't have kids and then quite oh. miraculously. So I took my role as a general manager thinking I was going to be a career woman. Yes. And then I fell pregnant. Wow. Uh, so after being appointed. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's really good. So both my kids are pretty miracle kids. Yeah. Um, so they're now 19 and 16, mm-hmm. now nearly 17. And uh, married 30 years quite happily, most of the time, most, yeah, mostly happily. Yeah, you, yeah, you have to say As most. long as we don't work together, we, we, we're fine. <laughs> well, you kind of answered my next question because my next question was going to be um, about something bad happening that turns good. So that's probably a really, really good story where something bad in your life has happened and it's turned out to be something really good, 30 years of marriage and two kids later. That's right. I mean, look, I've had lots of examples of bad things happening. That's just when it started. You know, it started when I was 17 and it just went on and on and on. Um, So, you know, I I mean, that's probably certainly one of the major stories um, uh, in in my life is, is, you know, meeting my husband. But but even the, um, you know, I wanted to be pregnant and have babies when all my girlfriends were. And I couldn't get pregnant for 10 years. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was devastating to me at the time. But now, now I'm nearly 50. <clears throat> but I don't look it. My kids have kept me young. You know, all, all my friends, of course, they're empty nesters and their kids are all getting married and having kids and they're becoming grandmothers. Well, yeah. I'm not. No. See, I've got years ahead of me so I can keep yeah. my youth. So again, so it's something at the time I thought was bad. Actually, I think I was a better mother because mm. I had 10 years to prepare for it rather than having kids straight away. So mm. yeah, I think, I, and look, and I always try to turn what is bad out to be good, you know, even COVID turned yeah. that for good. So it's a, it's a good, uh, a good positive attitude to have to life. I think. That's what you've got to have. There's no other to have in my book. You have been across Australia speaking to surveyors everywhere there must be a time, where were you when you probably heard the most craziest conversation? Look, um, uh, I've just actually, I managed to get across the border of Queensland uh, just as they, they opened it for a short window in July, 2020. And I was able to get across and I spent three weeks in Queensland visiting 70 surveying firms, traveling from Cairns all the way down to the Gold Coast over three weeks. and so I'd meet with between three and five surveyors every day. And the conversation is exactly the same. Like, I'm not kidding. 
I will meet with a surveying firm and they all talk to me about exactly the same things. And it doesn't matter where in the country I go to. And this week I've chatted to surveyors in New Zealand mm-hmm. and they have exactly the same problems. So across our industry, the problems are the same and the conversations are the same, almost to the words that they use. <laughs> um, and so it's quite interesting to me that they don't recognise that. Anyway, I, I don't quite know how to solve some of their problems, mm. but we're working on it. Um, you know, some of the crazy conversations are often about the crazy things that surveyors have been out there doing. Yeah. You know, like, like we had one recently that was talking to us about how he had to survey the middle of the Adelaide River in Darwin and he had to watch out for the crocodiles. <laughs> I mean, okay. You know, then you hear stories of them going out into the bush and having to watch out for snakes and spiders and, you know, don't fall down holes and, mm-hmm. and you know, these sorts of things I think are quite amazing. I mean, recently one of my surveyors sent me uh, a YouTube clip of, that they filmed of themselves uh, where he was surveying the middle of a dam and he was on a paddleboard in his wetsuit out in the middle of a dam with his stick measuring the dam. Bad. I mean, you know, some of the things you guys do are pretty awesome. Yeah. So I love hearing, I love hearing these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that some of what they do is really quite amazing. I mean, one of our guys out in Tamworth uh, has hooked up a buggy, like a quad bike thingy, yeah. Yeah. you know, and he's hooked it up. And so he takes that out into paddocks because they have to survey massive pieces of land. Rather than fly a drone, he'd rather get on the back of his bike. And I've seen his garage. He's got like four of them. And, you know, and he goes out into the paddock with his, all his GPS and all his stuff. I mean, he loves it. I think that they, they're just like boys with their toys, really. Uh, and they turn it into a bit of a game. So, you know, I love hearing those stories. I think they're really fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there's some pretty, uh, pretty cool stories out there to be heard, that's for sure. Hopefully I hear some of them. <laughs> okay, so would you rather have... Oh, you have to ask, when you interview Mark Scanlon... Yes. He's got a great one, which I've heard oh, about okay. having to survey a nudist beach. Oh. oh, there's a great story too. Okay, I'll try and remember that one. <laughs> try and remember that one. <laughs> All right. Last, uh, last question. Would you rather have a get out of jail card, get out of jail free, or a key that opens any door? Oh, a key that opens any door. I'd never get into jail. I'm too good a girl. Did you hear I don't drink? Um, so I, I wouldn't get into jail. Because I could talk my way out of anything, right? So oh, there's no true. chance of being yes. arrested or you know, any of that sort of stuff. So I don't need that. <laughs> a key to any door is what I would want because I think that in surveying, we need to be opening up more and more opportunities. And mm-hmm. I am trying to push on as many doors as I can on behalf of the industry and the profession. And personally, you know, I want to keep growing my own skill, my own ability, yep. what I do, and I'm pushing on doors there mm-hmm. and encouraging others like you, Peter, to do the same. And so uh, I don't. I think I already have the key to any door. In fact, yeah. I think we all I'd have the key to any door. Probably agree to that one for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, quick shots just before we go. Yes, no, hot, cold, whatever it may okay. be. Coffee or tea? Tea. Cat or dog? Dog. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Summer or winter? Summer. Roller coaster, love them or hate them? Hmm. Wrote a book about roller coasters. Uh, <laughs> hate, hate them now, liked them when I was younger. Too old now. <laughs> Three items you'd take to a desert island? My Bible, my phone, although they're one in the same these days. Uh, filtered water. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I could filter my own on the island, couldn't I? Um, uh, and my Kindle, I get, oh, although my Kindle and my phone could be the same. I don't know. I don't, my laptop, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, need no, your laptop on the desert island. All right, your favourite song? Uh, I'm a Billy Joel fan, so anything by Billy Joel, really. Favourite movie? Um, so I'm, I love the Avengers. All of the Avengers, I've watched oh, yeah. them. You know, from Iron Man all the way through yep. at least four or five times. So, yeah, I'm an Iron, I'm a Marvel fan. Marvel fan. Your favourite book? Oh. <laughs> too many, too, how could too I, many. How could I pick? The, the Bible is my favourite book. Yep. It's one okay. I read every day. Introvert or extrovert? Oh, I wonder. <laughs> extrovert. <laughs> is your glass half full or half empty? Half, 
my glass is all the way full. All the way full. Oh, half, half full. <laughs> One thing you'd never do again. I would never buy a house as soon as I got married. Oh, okay. If you had a warning label, what would it be? <laughs> I should let somebody else answer that question. <laughs> um, watch out, here she comes or something probably. <laughs> Who knows you best? Uh, probably my husband. Mm -hmm. What was your favourite subject in school? Economics. Favourite childhood memory? Uh, I, mm. oh. well, yeah, I, my childhood's a bit funny. Um, probably don't really have a favorite. Oh, how about, how about bush bonfires? You remember, oh. you know, when we used to do bonfires? Yeah. yeah we used to have some great, great bonfires. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Favorite food? Chocolate. <laughs> Even if I can't eat it, it's still my favourite. You can get sugar-free chocolate, you know. Yeah, that. I know, I know. There's a great new one in Coles that are uh, in Woolworths by Lint, just by the oh, way. Okay. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. But it's only available in Woolworths, so. Pet peeve. Uh pet peeve is uh negativity mm -hmm. um and people who are not proactive and can't solve problems or mm -hmm. choose not to solve problems. Yep. Would you rather win the lottery or have the perfect job? I already have the perfect job, so clearly I'd want to win the lottery. <laughs> Are we friends? <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping it all for myself. Did I mention I want to travel the world? <laughs> Morning or night person? Night. Proudest moment? Uh, being elected to local government. Mm -hmm. um, dream car? That's a question for my son. I just bought a yellow MG. I was going to wait for oh, That's my dream car. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I have one. Yeah. We've been talking about a Tesla lately, so maybe a Tesla. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Not into cars. Favourite colour? Red. Apple or Android? Apple. <laughs> no, no choice there. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Uh, is ten cool and oh, one's not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 10, man. Oh, for sure. And star sign. <laughs> Pisces. Oh, Pisces. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Uh, on a final note, social media platforms, anything you'd like to sprout to the listeners, where to follow, where to go, what to look at. I know you've yep. got a few. So uh, I, am, I am everywhere. You can Google me and you'll find all sorts of things. Um, I'm quite amazed that people do good do that now. Like before I go to meet with people, they've Googled me. Anyway, scared of what they might find. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Blitzavs, Instagram at Michelle Blitzavs, Twitter at Michelle Blitzavs, Facebook at Michelle Blitzavs. Uh, pretty much my name is quite unique, so I use it wherever I can, michelleblitzavs.com. And uh, if you'd like to know a little bit more about some of the things I do apart from ACS, you might look up uniqueleaders.com.au. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you today, Michelle. Thanks, Peter. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Michelle. What an amazing, energetic and positive lady. Make sure you like, subscribe and leave a review on my channel. Catch you in a fortnight when I chat with Mark Scanlon, Managing Director from Parker Scanlon in Greater Newcastle. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.